Oh, there you go. <laughs> you proud of me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like a mother has to be. <laughs> <laughs> you did not hesitate no. in taking a big old bite out of that apple. And right. all I could think of was worm grub, worm grub, <laughs> beetle, nasty fungus. Oh, no. <laughs> It's like, oh, I'm a horticulturist, and people will give me this inquisitive look. Oh, yeah, the you know the foam soles in your shoes. I'm the one that designed the foam layout for your insoles for each one of those shoes, horticulturists. Right. And and <laughs> people will be like, oh, interesting. Makes sense. Checks it's, out. <laughs> there's. starting um i should start okay right now Mm -hmm. oh okay i'm not ready right now but if you're gonna oh if you're gonna force me to do it is this a bit yes okay (laughs) (laughs) how's it going take it leave it take that wasn't a bit Uh, (laughs) how's it going take it or leave it listeners this is ethan wise and i'm nick farrington and thank you again for listening to another sweet ass episode of the podcast you sycamore sandies mm-hmm. you <laughs> cambium calebs <laughs> you xylem zacharys <laughs> that's your that's your go-to have i said xylem zacharys? oh definitely yeah damn yeah 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 i think you need a new list of of random first names epipremnum ethans oh there you go <laughs> For any other listeners named Ethan. Nisa Nix. Oh, yep. There we go. You proud of me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Like a mother has to be. <laughs> Watching me struggle horrifically as I try to read three words on a page for 50 minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh, I really wish I didn't buy these Babar books. <laughs> oh, Babar. The Babar, the, the little elephant and the green... Suit, you never read the Babar books as a kid? No. Mm. Mm. Do I look it up and show you on the podcast time? Okay. We're over two minutes in already, (laughs) and we've talked about absolutely nothing. (laughs) Remember how we're uh, keeping this one under 50? We're keeping this one under 50 minutes. Yeah. You have 10 grand on the line. Okay. Well, you are down here in the St. Louis area visiting us. Yep. So, yeah, and the, you know, not only are we recording episodes, but I also really needed help finishing up. A project that I took on that was for a commercial client. Yes. And Mm -hmm. it was a lot at the end of an already very physical week as far as other projects that I was doing. All you did was build a retaining wall. (laughs) And (laughs) drag around a 160 pound piece of equipment that didn't do nearly half of what I needed it to do. Right. Man, I was not thrilled with the use of that equipment, that garden bed edger. But regardless, Got to end the week on spreading about eight, nine thousand pounds of mulch. Mulch. Uh, At least it was a nice day. (laughs) That is one thing that we both have discussed is our feelings of, yes, there can be nice days. But what is it about when you say you work outside 
you said one of your peeves is when people say at least it's a nice day outside. Yeah, or oh, it's such a nice day out, and you've been out for five, six, eight, s- twelve hours, and you're sweated sweating. through your clothes down to your ankles, filthy, dirty knees, dripping, sweat in your eyes, and somebody comes out to you from the indoors and says, "At least it's a nice day <laughs> <Yeah>. outside." <laughs> it's like, well, it could still be a nice day, but it doesn't feel like it i think it's like a nice day for working outside is like 70 and complete overcast right with the kind of work that we're doing like sure if it's 80 and a little bit of a breeze and you're only outside for an hour or two doing like a little bit of physical labor putting in some plants and mowing a yard or something like that sure eight hours of any continuous physical labor outside it doesn't feel it nice. It doesn't matter what <laughs> temperature it is. If it is over 75 and the sun is out at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> can be kind of exhausting. Yeah. But yeah, so you came down and, and helped me finish up this week's Brenza Mulch and many thousands of pounds of it. And now here we are finally getting a chance to record and giving our bodies a time to recover. Yeah. It's been super fun. Just a light it's a light weekend. <laughs> Just a real light. My body is so sore. Yeah. Yep. It is extremely sore for this Because most week. of the mulch had to be hauled over a distance. Yeah, you know, but that's... Just like a couple hundred feet. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it was just like the retaining wall, dragging that piece of equipment around the day before the mulch. Right. And then the mulch spreading was like, ooh. Yeah. That is going to yeah, when you up. move like a couple thousand pounds of material by hand individually two days in a row catches up to you well in the, t- the retaining walls there was 240 bricks and each mm-hmm. one of those bricks is eight pounds i mm-hmm. think mm. <laughs> well those are a pretty big block for eight pounds right um, Aren't they about like that maybe they're bigger than eight pounds yeah. i can't remember definitely Got to the point where, like, you're needing to, you start off, like, all cocky and, like, I'm going to carry a brick in each hand. <laughs> <laughs> like, two hours. By out. the end of the night, you're carrying half a brick in your arms like a baby. <laughs> Dragging yourself across <laughs> their lawn. <laughs> well. But so while we were out for that project, day two in the morning, we were going to stop for a quick bite to eat. And when we parked... Which didn't turn out to be a quick bite deep because <laughs> right. he chose Panera. Right. And Panera is like, oh, you wanted to visit and hang out here for 40 minutes while we make <laughs> two sandwiches, two breakfast sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although they were really good. Really tasty. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you spotted, I mean, I'd known that these apple trees had been there. And I've seen them, and I remember seeing them last year doing the same exact thing that we saw them on. But like, and this is just, just an open parking lot. Yeah, it's just like there's a Target and a Ulta and an Aldi and like just this big strip mall with all these different places, the Panera Bread, other restaurants. And in these medians are primarily crab trees, but then there's just like two or three actual apple trees. Like regular old apple trees. And I'm not entirely sure if that was intentional. Or if the graft failed of the crab apple and the rootstock of the actual apple tree took over. I feel like because of the story we're going to tell about it, I think maybe they accidentally planted a couple apple trees. Like they were just mixed in with all the crab apples they were planting and amongst the crab apples. Yeah. Ended up being actual apple trees. Because I looked up in this tree and the, the area under this tree, I mean, it's in a tiny little isolated curbed median thing in this giant open parking lot 
and there's, you know, rotten apples all over the ground. But I look up and I'm like, hey, Ethan, I think that one looks good right there. Can you reach that? <laughs> sure. As you wish. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you're going to try it? It's like, yeah, I'm going to try it. You did not hesitate no. in taking a big old bite out of that apple. And right. all I could think of was worm grub, worm grub, beetle, <laughs> nasty fungus. Oh, no. And I took a bite and I was like, oh, that's really pretty good. And I think you thought I was kidding because I was like, yeah, here, try try a bite. And I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting. Yeah. I was just hoping to not get something horrendous inside that apple that was now going to give me an aversion to apples for the next 15 years. But it ended, it was a really good apple. It was a really tasty apple. Which is why I think it might have originally been just a mistakenly planted one. Because, I mean, it tasted exactly like probably like a Macintosh or something. And me. with another apple not that far away, an actual fruiting apple that looked right. like it had similar apples on mm-hmm. it. And then all the crab apples, it's getting pollinated. Right. And and you had a, a good... Because you wouldn't really want an apple tree over parked cars. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it's not a good idea. Why is my windshield broken? (laughs) Like some of those apples were like real mushy, mushy. Yes. (laughs) All over the area under the tree in the parking lot. You get out of your car and you step on a rotten apple. Full of bees. (laughs) (laughs) I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, and I did step on one of them and there was a bunch of bugs that flew out of it. I was like, (laughs) So, yeah, so here we are. That was how we started our morning was a random parking lot apple. And um, trying to get started a little bit before the heat because that was the coolest day at, what, a real feel of 98? <laughs> and today is a real feel of 112. Yeah, it's real yeah. rough down here in the St. Louis area. Opening your sliding door was like opening the oven to pull out a batch of cookies. It just smacks my you glasses. in the face. It's... It's very weird that it's it's a 50 degree, um, 40 degree difference between inside yeah. and outside right now. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No thanks. Mm-mm. So, yeah, our attempt was to avoid doing too much of the mulch spreading in the heat, which was a great idea. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite work out that way yeah. as we thoroughly soaked through all of our layers. But despite the extremes of the temperatures that we've had pretty regularly this summer one of the points that we wanted to make today not that you would have grasped (laughs) to now was that even though we have had some really extreme temperature spikes this year summer is still a really good time to plant it can be yeah absolutely and we see so much in our times working in garden centers and just talking to clients now that for some reason a lot of people think that like once may is over it's not a good time to plant anything again until fall and that's really not the case so we wanted to kind of bring that to attention and kind of debunk that mindset that the public has as far as planting in the summer and it is a good time i mean you have plenty of time i would rather plant in in spring or summer and get things rooted and established more before they go dormant in winter Mm -hmm. than waiting until that fall now there are exceptions to that a little bit but like like today right when it's 112 over 110 degrees right not a good day i mean planting aside it's just not a good day for you to be outside Mm -hmm. doing that as well right but yeah, I think there's there are some plants that maybe you just want to provide a little bit more of a or have a little bit more of a caution 
mm-hmm. about planting, like maybe in August heat planting at your mailbox where it's around, you know, you have the street and mm-hmm. then you have your driveway heat. And then a lot of people, I notice a common trend is putting like rock mulch around your, your mailbox a garden. Of radiant heat on those plants. Right. Depending you know, on what it is. Exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe trying to get a plant to establish and adapt through the transplant shock in an environment like that. Maybe not the most ideal, but if you're planting around your house in a nice made garden and you're going to be diligent about your watering, I think that's the biggest issue is right. people don't water enough in summer and you do have to up your watering. Or especially they go on, on the other plants. end and water way, way too, too much and they're like, oh, I'm supposed to drown it every day, right? I'm like, mm-mm. mm-mm. So one of the things that we used to say at the garden center we worked at together Uh, what we would tell customers with regards to watering their new plants was we use the scale of the container size for it. And so if you were buying a three-gallon shrub or a shrub that was in what's referred to as a three-gallon container, we would tell people that you would need to at least water that plant with three gallons of water a week. Mm -hmm. And ideally in one deep watering, maybe two. Mm-hmm. You know, where you split that watering, you know, maybe you do maybe fudge it a little bit and do like two gallons on Wednesday and two gallons on Saturday or, right. you know, depending on your soil structure. It's all very dependent on where you live could tweak how a garden center employee instructs you to water your plant. But where we worked, we would usually use the rough estimate, let's say a 10 gallon tree. You buy a 10 gallon tree, you water that tree 10 gallons of water a week in the heat of the summer, you might need to double it up, especially mm-hmm. if it's a new planting. And especially if you're not getting significant rain in that week. And usually we would say if you're not getting rain an inch or more in a week, if it's less than that, don't count it towards your total, essentially, necessarily. Right. Because right. a light rain, just like if you do a quick watering with the hose, if you're blasting a new plant with the hose and all that water is running off and you're just spraying the foliage, that's not what we're talking about. What you really want to do with, say, that 10-gallon tree, if you're giving it five gallons split over two days in that week, the slow, deep watering is critical because you want to get really nice saturation deeper down in that soil so that it's available to the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're just blasting it hard with the hose or something like that, that water tends to just run off all over. Or if right. you have mulch with fabric under and you're just hitting it with a deluge of water and that water hits the fabric and just runs underneath, you might not even see that. Right. Um, you want to water at the base of the plant, right. especially new because that's where all the roots are. Right. You know, it's one thing when you have an established plant that might be heat stressed or water stressed where you can water like under the canopy under it. But on a new plant, you're pretty much watering right at the base of the plant where that pot was essentially exactly exactly so just something to keep in mind you know if you are planting in summer you know these are just good watering tips anyway any plant whether you're planting in spring or you're planting in fall and those are great times to plant Mm -hmm. when the temperatures are a little bit cooler it does encourage certain growth hormones to be far more active in that plant specifically in the root production and sometimes the plants don't actively produce those as readily in the high heat but that's normal even if you planted your plant in may 
and you got it in the ground, and you've been watering it. And even though you're watering it the same amount in summer, it might still not be actively growing as much mm-hmm. as just adapting to the heat stress of everything. Yeah, you could notice your, say you plant a new hydrangea in early spring and you see that start to push lots of new growth and new new leaves and branches. When it gets really, really hot, you'll notice that slow down quite a bit. Right. Because there's not those cooler nighttime temperatures for them to recover. And one of the things that I always tell people like in a garden center setting when I'm talking to them and they come in and, you know, here it is and it's whether it's spring and it's it's getting to June and and I start hearing more and more people saying, oh, I'm trying to get my planting done, you know, because it's not a good time to plant in summer or when people will come in in summer and say they're just kind of shopping around for fall or getting like window shopping and they don't want to plant anything now because it's not a good time to plant. And like, no, no, no. That's that's a stigma that has been created many years ago that isn't necessarily the case. Right. Here at a garden center where you're looking at an abundance of trees and shrubs and perennials that are in pots, many times black plastic pots. Right. And in I the tell beating sun. Right. And I tell people these plants are survive we're we're open. We're a garden center. We're open right now. If it really wasn't an okay time to plant, garden centers would close in the right. summer and then reopen in fall. But we stay open and we're caring for these plants. And I tell people these plants are going to be way happier in the ground than they are going to be remaining in these hot pots on Sitting this on table. Yeah, right. You know, in these containers that are not water retentive in summer. That's like the main. They might gig be getting water two, and three, four times a day, depending on the container size. Absolutely. And that is a big fluctuation all in one day versus you know you putting it in the ground and it being able to get itself established and have some more room to root. And right. Getting a slow, deep watering that's actually there more consistently in the soil than this dry out water, dry out water, dry out water, Absolutely. all in like a really high heat in that container. And if you use something appropriately like a root stimulator, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a liquid or a granular, like there's a fertilone root stimulator, there's biotone granular, which we've talked about, I think before. Yep. But as long, if you use something like that, that also helps. And that's putting in a good new or good nutrients into the ground that are easy for that plant to absorb. You know, you don't want to like mm-hmm. plant the south side of your house in July and then blast everything with miracle Grow. It's high nitrogen, tough on plants, just a high nutrient concentration. Right. But a nice root stimulator, which usually has one, the hormone to encourage root mm-hmm. growth, which helps them get established and, and therefore or, make them more drought tolerant and all of that. And a light dose of nutrients combined with something like a slow release fertilizer, whether that's an organic, like an espoma, which I know we've talked about in our fertilizer episode. Right. Or, um, and the biotone with the espoma, that, that was the andor, right. like, andor the mycorrhiza mm-hmm. that's in it, which is a beneficial fungus that can help kind of create a nice, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Symbiotic, Symbiotic. relationship mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. plant, relieving some of that transplant shock. And then, of course, Osmocode, if you want to go with the synthetic slow-release route. But whether you go organic or synthetic, and like we talked about back in our fertilizer episode, that, because it's a slow release, it's way easier on the plants when it's really hot and there Mm -hmm. can be more drought stress. And then having some sort of root stimulation, whether it's through one of the organics with the beneficial microbes or the indolbutyric acid, the rooting hormone that's in a lot of the more conventional root stimulators, that combination of things is a nice ease into getting established for that plant, even if the temperatures are more extreme out. 
Right. But yeah, I just, I always tell people like plants are going to be way happier if you get them in the ground. And as long as you are diligent with your watering, you shouldn't have too many issues with getting the plant. Like, yes, you're going to notice maybe a slightly heavier transplant shock aesthetically. Mm -hmm. Like in particular, I was telling you about this before we decided to do the recording here. Hey, Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leaf it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Take It or Leaf It Pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at Hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon, N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. (laughs) I had a particular instance with someone with regards to a Japanese maple, and it was a fine leaf Japanese maple which are already prone to getting some scorch in summer anyway, even if they're fully established plants. If they're getting, you know, some Western exposure or maybe... And a little on the dry side. Right. Mm -hmm. You can get that scorching, and that scorching is that kind of browning on the margin. Yeah, the foliage. Right. So this person, you know, was buying the plant and planting. It was like the end of June or something like that still getting pretty hot and he was concerned about is this the right time to do it and i said yes you can still do it now he was very much worried about the heat and it was i believe it was a 10 gallon tree and so i told him 10 gallons of water a week and getting into summer you might need to double that up i said kind of gauge it you know if you're noticing that the soil is really drying out you know in between your weekly watering then double it up and do Wednesday, Saturdays, Tuesday, Friday, something like that. And the way I told him to do it was get a five gallon bucket, drill a hole in the bottom of that bucket, like a quarter inch hole or an eighth an inch hole, something to something slow, slow trickle. Yep. And told him to just put that bucket next to the side of his plant, fill it up with his garden hose. You could do that at full speed because it's still going to just drain out at a slow, steady pace. Filled it up twice on this day, fill it up twice on another day if you need to double it up. Right. And also the reason why I recommend or we recommend that singular deep watering is to allow a little bit of drought stress mm-hmm. in between the waterings. Because if you keep a plant constantly moist, you're kind of keeping the training wheels on it. You know, if the plant gets used to always having moisture in the area, then it's never going to need to develop a strong, deep root system Mm -hmm. whereas if you drought stress it a little bit and it dries out in between waterings that actually encourages more vigorous growth this specific growth hormone is released in a a drought situation because the plant recognizes it needs to reach out to find that water and nutrients a little dry i need to go a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway that's just a good practice to keep in the back of your mind but anyway, so this guy, he, he calls me two weeks later after he planted the tree, and he's noticing the scorch, which I had already warned him about. 
And he was like, my tree's dying. This is, I, I did what you said. I'm and doing you had you told said. him to kind of push through that phase. And, right. I had right. already warned him about the scorch, that it's okay. It's normal. Established ones will do the same thing. It's heat. It's transplant shock. It's the type of plant that you are purchasing. Right. And gave him more words of encouragement two weeks in. And he, I could tell he wasn't sold on it. I told him, don't change your watering routine. Don't start overwatering. Don't. Cause we see a lot of people go that overcorrect. way. Exactly. Yep. Um, I was like, don't overcorrect. Keep it on your normal watering schedule. And he calls me or he emails me back about four weeks later with a picture of his. And I told him, be prepared. He was like, it's okay. It'll adapt after it starts to adapt. It's going to start pushing off new growth. That isn't going to have that scorch on there. And about a month later, he shows me a picture of his plant pushing off new growth, happy, healthy leaves. And he was very happy with the turnout and glad that he stuck through it because he was like, I had totally been preparing myself after our conversation when I checked in two weeks after I planted it. I was fully prepared to like point my finger at your chest with a a dead plant and want his warranty replacement and like criticize me for not knowing what I was talking about. And now, according to him, he named his Japanese maple Ethan because he was so happy and impressed and glad that what I told him is actually what occurred with that plant and that he stuck with it and didn't let the stress because people get really stressed about their Mm -hmm. new plantings Mm -hmm. and every little thing that they can get concerned about, especially when you're investing that kind of money. Sure. But anyway, yeah, so it worked out and now there's supposedly a Japanese maple out there named Ethan. (laughs) Uh, So if you end up meeting a Japanese maple and it introduces itself as Ethan and it looks healthy, it might be the one that's named after me. Right. That's my little toot toot of my own horn there. And I do often see people go the opposite way with watering. They established or not, they see, which, you know, if you see a brand new planting start to crash as soon as it gets hot, maybe it does need more water. But if, you know, you stick your finger in that soil and the soil is still damp or you pull your mulch back a little bit and it's still damp underneath, you're good. It's just transplant stress Mm -hmm. or stress from the heat of the day because you can get that on established shrubs too. And what I see a lot of people do is go the opposite way and say, ooh, I need to water it more. And pretty soon, you know, maybe, maybe it's already on irrigation. Maybe it's been watered once or twice that week already or maybe you've already given it it's one or two deep waterings and now pretty soon you've watered it every other day and mm-hmm. you end up causing other health issues and decline in the plant because it's getting now too much water and then it's going to be looking droopy and sad because it's having health issues from too much water and you see it drooping and you think oh it's drooping because it's too dry no, it's droopy then, because its roots are dying and it can't right. support the and current so, foliage and so pretty soon you're you're thinking this plant is too dry it's too dry it's stressed it's too dry and it's because you're watering it too much right the other analogy that i use too like with the training wheel one that i said earlier was dry soil is easier to fix than wet soil right it's the steak analogy your wet soil is your well done steak once you have overly saturated soil, you're kind of stuck with that. There's nothing you can really do about that until it decides to dry up on its own leisure, whatever may cause that. So maybe it's good draining soil eventually or the heat, whatever. But that's your well-done steak. Once you have a well-done steak, that's it. That's what you get to eat. Whereas you It have, only gets more burnt from there. <laughs> right, yeah. It only becomes nastier and more inedible. Whereas you have your medium rare steak, that's your dry soil. You can still tweak it if you want to. You know, you're like, okay, it's dry. I can add a little bit more water. I can cook it a little bit more to get it to where it needs to be. So that's kind of my other analogy that I use for people as far as 
understanding wet soil versus dry soil. Right. Easier to fix dry soil than wet soil. And then another thing that's really common that I talk to people about, something to be aware of with watering is this more so applies to shrubs, perennials, annuals, because they're lower to the ground or they're in a pot or whatever. But watering the pot or watering the soil surface, not watering or spraying the leaves with water. Yes. Because that can lead to foliar diseases, fungal issues, powdery mildew is a common one, but... Also just not reaching the roots of the plant. Right. Yeah. You could be spraying that and all that water could be bouncing off and going everywhere else but the root zone where you're trying to hit. Right. But um, yeah, as a general rule, most plants don't want their leaves to be soaking wet several times a week. So whether that's your annuals in a container, you know, just stick that water nozzle under the foliage and water the soil surface rather than spraying the leaves and flowers of the plants. Certain flowering annuals, perennials, if you're getting water on those blooms, they're going to decline much quicker. You could have nice flowers on your on your zinnias or on your dahlias or something like that. And if you're spraying those and they're wet all the time, those flowers... Not to mention those two plants are already mighty prone to botrytis and powdery mildew. Right. So keeping the petal and the leaf wet is Mm -hmm. a surefire way to increase the likelihood of that happening. And then to go along with that, I see a lot of people water in the evenings when they get home from work. Again, if you have a wet plant going into a dark, damp overnight period, fungal diseases love that. So really the best is early morning, morning, even late morning is yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, unless it's crazy, crazy hot and sunny, I'd say I'd rather see a water in the early afternoon than water at five, six, seven o'clock at night when that plant's going to be sopping wet going into the evening. I would also, for my own stuff, if I can water in the early afternoon versus watering at six or seven o'clock at night, Mm -hmm. it's better. And if I do have to water later in the evening, water the base of the plant right? and maybe not over water, just give it enough Mm -hmm. to give it a drink, get it to perk back up, but then address it again in the morning and give it a more substantial water. If I'm noticing declines, I'm speaking with regards to my tomatoes. Sure. But yeah, if you do have to water in the evening and you're watering properly, you're not spraying all the leaves of those plants. You know, if you're watering the base of the plant or you're watering the pot, if it's containers and not watering the leaves of the plant, spraying those, you know, then that's a little different. But like you said, not to overdo, but it's when you have wet leaves going into the evening that that really can be an invitation for some issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of going back to the garden center and that it's okay to purchase plants as long as you water your plants correctly this time of year. But a way that you can also pick the right ones is actively talk to the staff there. You go to a local independent garden center, quite frequently they're hiring horticulturists or at least people who are very plant savvy. Mm-hmm. They might be a master as long gardener. As it's a reputable garden center. Right. You know, it might be a master gardener or a master naturalist. They might not be a horticulturist. Maybe they're an environmental scientist or someone who's just been working in garden centers for many, many numbers of years to the point where they are an expert in the particular area where they are in. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you see people who are more able to talk to you about perennials than they are able to talk to you about trees and vice versa. But I think a lot of the garden centers I've worked at have done a good job of putting people in the right place to talk to you uh, expertly and professionally about those plants in which you are shopping. And part of also 
as a kind of a secondary benefit to buying your plants in the summer, since it's still a perfectly good time to plant, it also really helps those local independent garden centers out or your local plant store or whatever, because with the general public having this misconception that summer for some reason isn't a good time to plant, it means that summer can be a really slow season for them. And so if you're coming in and still shopping, it really helps out those independents so that they're Absolutely. not getting eaten up by the box stores, the the Lowe's and the Home Depots and all of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, you go to a garden center in July and August, they're still usually pretty stocked up on plants. And you're much more likely to find a professional and expert in the field at one of those independents than you are at a box store. And I mean, gosh, like when I worked, I mean, we don't work at garden centers anymore in the moment, but when I did, I was way happier, even though it's hot and you're miserable just standing around, I would much rather talk to someone about the plants Mm -hmm. than just spend my whole day watering, which some of the days just felt like that's what you're doing. Like I'm just coming to work to water plants for eight, nine hours. Mm -hmm. But you know, talk to those people, talk to those horticulturists. They work hard on their degrees. Give them a chance to impress you. And that kind of leads us into like, what is horticulture? You know, yeah, a lot of people, when you say the word horticulture, you say I'm a horticulturist, you get kind of like this blank questioning kind of stare that mm-hmm. like to such a degree that I make a joke of it where I can just come up with anything and people will believe me if I tell them I'm a horticulturist. Like, oh, I'm a horticulturist. And people will give me this inquisitive look or be like, I don't know what that is. And I can just say something like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the foam soles in your shoes. I'm the person that creates the design layout for Adidas, for Nike, for Vans. I'm the one that designed the foam layout for your insoles for each one of those shoes, horticulturists. Right. And and people will be like, oh, interesting. Checks out. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I just, my passion is in this. But when you hear the word horticulturist, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't necessarily bring you to gardening and plants and trees. So I don't fault people necessarily for not knowing it. But yeah, people will come in and they just, you know, or they just seem to not, know what a horticulturist is what horticulture is and that's why we want to bring it up is because a lot of people don't know since they don't know what that is they don't know that that's a resource that's available that that person with that really typically really in-depth plant knowledge usually either from going to school or learning from years in the field they've acquired that knowledge of usually a broad knowledge of multiple categories of plants where, you know, sometimes you might go and someone might say, oh, I'm really, I really mostly know annuals. If you need to talk trees, you should talk to this person or, oh, this person, you know, they really know their perennials. Whereas a horticulturist and what our role that we've had in the past at different places. Jack of all trades. Yeah. You kind of can float around and you can sell trees because you have a, a good knowledge there, shrubs, perennials, annuals, houseplants, tropicals, the whole deal, veggies and herbs. Usually a horticulturist is going to have a a depth of knowledge across multiple of those big plant categories that you'd mm-hmm. find at a garden center and can give you really good information about the plants, insect and disease and pest issues, Which ones watering and where? fertilizing, right? Yeah, light conditions, all of those things. A good horticulturist will ask you the right questions about yes. your gardening space to narrow down 
what you should be looking for. What direction is it facing? Is it wet, dry, sun, shade? How many hours of sun? How habit of a gardener are you? Are you do right. you want low maintenance? Do you like to go out there and play with your plants? When does it need to be pruned? Does it have any significant pest or disease issues mm-hmm. that can come up? That kind of thing. Yeah. So it's definitely ask those questions because we will be more than happy to talk to you about it. I mean, that's what horticulture is, the study of plants, the the knowledge of cultivation of those plants. You know, kind of the science behind it, but then also there's an art to it as well. Right. You know, it's like there's horticulture is kind of like a smaller, more specific niche of agriculture. Mm-hmm. And then gardening is like a more specific niche of horticulture. You know, it's just like they all kind of tie together. There's arboriculture, which more heavily focuses on the study of trees. There's floriculture, which more heavily studies the flowers. Like cut flower exactly. industry. You know, and then botany is kind of a little bit more in-depth horticulture. More science heavy. Exactly, where you're kind of learning more of the genetic makeup of that plant and sometimes is very or like down to like the cellular processes very helpful for the people who choose to breed and specially hybridize plants Mm -hmm. but horticulture like we said is very much the the broad kind of general knowledge of many many things many of us kind of have a special area where we tend to be more passionate about Mm -hmm. but overall i feel like we can comfortably walk you around your house or a property and give you if not very specific information about your plants, usually above average general knowledge on them. Like, okay, maybe I don't know this particular hydrangea, but I know enough about hydrangeas to troubleshoot what's going on here. That this should or shouldn't be pruned and when. and It shouldn't be brown. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a really important resource to know that's out there and look for again, typically going to be more available at those independent garden centers. And it helps to, you know, we see a lot of people ask for plant advice on the internet, on Facebook groups and Instagram and things like that. I'm a part of a few of those groups. and, And I tell sometimes if I'm motivated, I will say answers to some of these questions, very similar to what I just said on the podcast, where people will post these questions that really a professional or an expert should be answering and a disease issue, a pest issue, some sort of plant health thing that's going on. Like, yes, there's a problem that's happening, but then kind of just a photo and look what's happening, what's going on. And then you get 200 responses of people who are very confident in what it is. And their answer is so wrong. And no, no credible background to be answering that question. No. And like one of them, my gosh, I saw someone posted, they just wanted to know what was going on with their sedum. And they had looked like an autumn joy or an autumn fire sedum. Just a typical uh, upright sedum. Yeah, with a nice pink flower. And I'm assuming that they lived in a warmer climate because it was further along than that type of sedum usually is here in the Midwest. It had already heavily bloomed. And the blooms were now fading. So it was now in that process of going from the pink flower and the flowers were now turning brown. They were just done. The flowers right. were spent and they had lived their life, done their purpose. Almost half of the 120 comments on this post, people were addressing the sedum as a hydrangea. And people 
for whatever reasons in that picture looked at that plant and thought or assumed it was a hydrangea or some of the top answers were people responding to it as if it was a hydrangea. So then maybe a lot of the people who just didn't know or were kind of ignorant as to what it was assumed that it was a hydrangea. Therefore, they catered their answers to a hydrangea as well. But that was very shocking to me. And the author of the post was liking those comments uh, and it's like, no, it's like, this is the problem. Like you're, you know, when you, you don't know enough about plants and you're posting on the internet to get an answer, when you don't know what's wrong with your plant, then you also tend to not be able to, unless you're talking to someone who really knows what they're doing, then you don't know how to sift through the right and the wrong answers. Yep, exactly. And that's my issue with that sort of thing. So I'm always promoting Go to a local garden center that is reputable, that has an educated staff, or use credible sources like, and we'll probably be broken records in that, using an extension office, or for us here in the Midwest, we use Missouri Botanical Gardens, commonly referred to as MoBot, or Morton Arboretum, something like that. But, you know, for your climate zone, wherever you may live, whether you live in Texas and it's zone eight or you live in Wisconsin and it's zone three, there's probably a horticulture extension, a part of a local university or state university where you can go to and get credible peer reviewed information about potentially an issue that you have. And if you can't find that, then go to a local garden center. And uh, like I said, give one of those staff members a chance to impress you. We really like talking about plants. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we're doing what we're doing now. It we don't really, even work in garden centers. Right. And we're like, how else can we keep talking about plants now that we don't have nearly the face-to-face audience to talk to about plants? It's a fun puzzle to solve, too. We do enjoy that. Yeah. I, I used to enjoy kind of like, well, you stumped the horticulturist. Right. You know? So that's kind of just our snippets of it is okay to plant. Be diligent about your watering. And ask horticulturist questions. We really like that. And that I think also applies to us here on this podcast. Ask us questions. We would love to hear more. You can reach us at our email at show at take it or leave it pod.com. You can always on our Facebook or Instagram posts at take it or leave it pod. You can respond in any of the comments, even if it doesn't directly apply to that post that we've maybe we post an episode like last week episode about carnivorous plants. I'm not going to be upset if someone says, Hey, I know this doesn't have anything to do with Venus flytraps, but my maple tree dot, dot, dot. Right. I wouldn't be opposed to answering that question. I like talking about plants in general. You give me an opportunity to talk about plants. I'm going to take full advantage of it. And you know, you're getting answers from people who have been in the industry and like are qualified to answer those questions. Right. Right. So yeah, we, I guess the more it's free advice. It is for now. For (laughs) now, we might start charging ten dollars an answer. Right. (laughs) Once we get uh, forty thousand followers, right? Then, (laughs) then it'll be a pay to play on Patreon. Yeah, yeah. It's like only (laughs) Patreon subscribers can ask us questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that kind of wraps it up. Nice, quick, to the point episode talking about care and plants and what you can get out of a horticulturist. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You have anything else you want to add? I think that's it. Well, thank you all for stopping in and listening. And till next week. We've been the Flora Fellas, and this is the Take It or Leave It podcast. I'm Ethan Weiss. I'm Nick Farrington. Bye. See you next week.